Hello, friends and supporters of the Nowata Methodists. This is Jeffrey Rickman. I'm the voice that's always on this podcast. We started it a couple of years ago, and uh, we're glad to be able to offer it to those of you who can't be with us in worship and for those who are supporters from afar. Um, we hope this is always a blessing to you. The, it, the main thing that we do uh, on this podcast is uh, circulate the, the message that I preach on any given Sunday, and that's what this one is as well. But I want you to know a couple neat things should be coming out um, soon. First is a podcast that, uh, or a recording that Janice Drake and the late Jim Patton did where we talk about a lot of the good personalities and history of this congregation. So I'm hoping to have that out this week sometime, well, a couple, hopefully a couple days after this comes out. The other thing is um, I just secured a commitment uh, for an interview with the new district superintendent here in Nowata. His name's Tim Simpson, real friendly person. Um, looks like he's going to be moving here in early uh, July next month, and he and I will be able to sit down from there, and hopefully we'll give Nowata a picture of uh, this new gentleman who's going to be um, serving our community for some time. So if uh, <laughs> if you like to hear some content other than my sermons, then you might stay tuned for that. But um, this particular uh, episode of our podcast is going to be my proclamation of the word from this last Sunday. It's my third Sunday on the letter of Jude, and I didn't imagine we would spend this much time, but the more time I've spent reflecting on it week to week, the more guilty I have felt skipping over the explicit Old Testament references. So um, this last Sunday we covered um, the story of Balaam's error and Cain's sin as well. Both of these are explicitly mentioned as pertinent in understanding who these people are who have snuck in into the church that are are, uh, causing people to stumble. So um, I I felt really good about this one, guys. There there are not many sermons that I really feel like, "Mm, I really did a decent job using the time well. And um, and I think, I think, I think this one was a good one. So I hope it was, I hope it is a blessing to you as you meditate on these things with me. I would urge you particularly we have this way of, as people, of insisting that things fit with our own worldview as it comes to us, and I think we have to um, allow the scriptures to come to us in their own context rather than the context we're comfortable with. So I hope you can suspend that skepticism that you might come to the scriptures with and uh, allow a new consideration as you entertain how it is that the church is supposed to comport and govern itself in the modern world. All right, I've talked enough. Enjoy the podcast. We'll see you. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. The remainder of our time in worship today will be spent in God's holy word. We're on page 1909 of your pew Bibles. This is, again, 
Jude's letter to us. We've been covering that this will be our fourth week covering Jude. And the reason we've spent so much time on it is because Jude has so many references to Old Testament stories that we have been covering. So I will remind you of what we've covered so far, what we've learned from each text. And we will, with God's help, finish talking about Jude today and start. Uh, my plan is to begin with 1 Corinthians next week, unless there's a, a deep need uh, for another book of the Bible uh, for this community. So open your Bibles to page 1909 and we will retread the steps that we've been treading. What I want you to pay attention to as we do this again, there's a part of our brains that go, we've been doing this for four weeks. Oh my gosh, I need something new. And then as we go through this, what you will find is, oh, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Oh, that's really nice. The, Satan tries to convince us that if we have gone over one path before, we don't need to go over it again. What God requires is that we tread these steps over and over until these steps are what unite us to Christ Jesus. This should be, we, the place that we're aiming at together is where this becomes, you know when somebody just loves a movie and they're quoting it all the time? That's how Christians are with the Bible. We are a people of one book. This is our story. This is our song. Praising our Savior all the day long. That's what we're trying to create, the, the Christ-like mind. You remember when Christ was uh, tempted by the devil in the wilderness, right? The three temptations, Jesus immediately answers with Scripture. Scripture is what equips us to do this holy battle that we're called to do. And especially Jude, Jude calls us to do battle. He calls us to contend for the faith, right? Let's look at how it begins again. Jude, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. I sure hope that's us. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Remember, contend means fight, do battle. That's what a contender does. Verse 4, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. We talked about that. They probably don't go around saying, I deny Jesus. Rather, it's in the way that they live, the way they participate in the community of faith that denies Jesus. There are people that have snuck into the community of faith, and he wants us to contend for the faith. Otherwise, those people will tear apart the body of Christ. There is a real threat here. We've talked about this. We want to put our trust that Jesus is just going to make everything work, even if we don't protect it. That's not how things go. Jesus required... God required that Adam and Eve tend the garden, right? Similarly for us, he has restored us in his image. He has given us this garden to tend over. Even so, if we allow weeds to grow, the garden will be fruitless. And there's a lot of parables about fruitless plants, isn't there? There's a, there's a good quote from John Wesley. I thought we'd look at it right now. Before I preach love, mercy, and grace, I must preach sin, law, 
judgment. Preach 90% law and 10% grace. That's quite a quote, isn't it? We live in an age that doesn't want to hear any of the bad news, wants 100% grace, no law. But the thing is, if you don't know the bad news, then how good is that good news going to sound? If people don't know that they're sinners deserving of condemnation, then how good is it going to sound that Christ died for them and has purchased their salvation? They're going to say, great, I already had it. Thanks, no thanks. And that's what this generation is saying. Because previous generations have failed to preach the law, judgment, condemnation. John Wesley said, you got to establish that foundation of law, condemnation, sin, so that when grace, love, salvation is offered, it can be received as the treasure that it is. We like to imagine that we can achieve the love of Christ without the fear of God. That is not the scriptural witness. The scriptural witness is we must rightly understand God and self. And when I understand myself to be a sinner in the hands of an angry God, that's what moves me to conviction and repentance. There is no other way. There is no other way. And our hearts are continually inclined to go towards the good and away from the hard, right? And he says here, verse 3, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write you about the salvation we share, remember, that's the good part. We all want to hear about that salvation, don't we? He says, before that, I need to write with you with some bad news. You've had some infiltrators come in, and they're going to ruin everything unless you do something about it. That's what this whole book is about. He's saying, I want to talk to you about the good, but we need to get clear on the bad that's happening right now. Are we ready to move on? Verse 5. Though you already know all this, I want to remind you that the Lord at one time delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling... These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the last day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffered the punishment of eternal fire. So he's going to move on from here, but these are three examples of groups rebelling against God, right? You have the ancient Israelites being freed from slavery, but then being disobedient and grumbling in the desert, and God punished and killed them. You have these ancient angels, the watchers, who <clears throat> are referred to in Genesis 6. We read over the elongated story in First Enoch of how it is that they rebelled. Then we have Sodom and Gomorrah, who also likewise turned against God's ways. They were out of God's covenant people, the Israelites, and they turned against God. In, in all three accounts, you have people thinking that because they made a corporate decision, they're going to be safe. And remember, in, in the story of the watchers rebelling, they say, everybody, we need to make this vow together so that if we all do it, God can't punish all of us. Right? You remember that? And that's one of those silly things that Satan puts in our brains where we go, oh, God loves us. If we all do something bad, he's not going to condemn all of us. And what we fail to understand is God is a better parent than us. In today's America, we have a bunch of parents who love their kids, and so that means that they don't exercise good discipline in their households. They think that because you love somebody, you don't maintain the rules when they break them. 
That's not what love is. God shows us what love is. And God is a loving father. He loves you more than anyone is ever going to love you. Anyone ever could love you. He loves you so much it breaks our brains to contemplate it. You could never spend enough time contemplating this. But he is also so just that though he loves you, he will not ever excuse you. It's only the blood of Christ Jesus that makes any of us worthy to uh, attain salvation. God's justice is not at odds with his love. You will hear people say, oh, if he loves us, he won't punish us. That's human love. That's our, that's our warped love. Love and punishment go hand in hand. Love and consequences go hand in hand. Love, we're going to come to it in a minute. Love and hate go hand in hand. Verse 8, in the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies. They reject authority and heap abuse on celestial beings. We talked about what that meant two weeks ago. So if, if you weren't here and you want to hear some discourse on that, you can find our podcast online. You can go back two weeks. Verse 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these people, these guys that snuck in, these bad guys, they slander whatever they do not understand. And the very things they do understand by instinct, as irrational animals do, will destroy them. The wisdom that comes from God is different from the wisdom that comes from the world. When you look at what nature has to offer, nature is corrupted and fallen with us. Nature will lead you to damnation. There's the wisdom that comes through God only through Christ Jesus, and he's holding these up against one another. He's saying these people who have natural wisdom, wisdom of the natural world, they speak ill of the wisdom of the Bible. This wisdom that they have will lead them to damnation and you if you follow them. You need to cling to the wisdom you have through Christ Jesus. And you do that not by resting on your own authority or on your own thinking. Rather, you rest on God's authority. So even the archangel Michael, he's telling this story about the assumption of Moses. This is a story that's not in the Bible. But Satan and, and Michael are fighting, or coming at each other for the body of Moses. And Satan slanders Michael, the archangel. And the archangel Michael says, the Lord rebuke you. Not I rebuke you. I'm going to fight you. The Lord rebuke you. You and I, we don't have any authority on our own. We continually feel like we are the center of our own lives. That is an illusion because why, children, what is our only hope in life and death? We belong to God. We've been bought at a price. We don't belong to ourselves. That means we don't have any authority on our own. We only have authority when we are in God, in Christ Jesus. That's the authority that we call upon. But we can't call on it willy-nilly. We have to be living rightly to be able to carry the authority of Christ Jesus. Amen? So that's what this whole community is about. The church community is we know we need to stand against the world and live rightly, but we don't magically know what that means. We have to attend upon God's word together, and we have to discern that together. And that's what we're doing right now if you're not falling asleep yet from my sermon. If you're falling asleep, wake up. Walk some circles around the sanctuary. This is, this is life and death stuff we're talking about. All right, verse 11. Woe to them. They have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's 
rebellion. So we read two of these three stories in worship last Sunday. We read Korah's rebellion two weeks ago. That's in numbers, if you don't know about it. The people get together, have a democratic revolution, and say, hey, God loves us as much as you, Moses. What gives you a right to, to rule over us? So they're speaking ill of authority that God has put in place. So God opens the earth and drags them straight to hell. It's an incredible story. You really missed out if you weren't here that week. Um, Balaam's error we covered last week. Balaam was a, a prophet from outside of the Israelite tradition that was called upon and was set on making profit to curse God's people. He is in it for personal gain, and, and a lot of his story is not included, but later in Numbers, I didn't even talk about this last week, later in Numbers, it says that he came up with a plan that he gave to Balak to seduce the Israelite men with the Midianite women and have them fall into idolatry. The whole thing it's warning us against is those voices that make us think it's really not that bad to go the way of the world. Balaam's error is that worldliness is okay. It's not okay. As James says at the end of the first chapter, true religion is this, to care for the widow and the orphan in their distress and anyone, keep yourself unstained by the world. The world is not your friend. The world killed Jesus. He wants to kill you. You stand against the world. We beat back the gates of hell. That's the whole point of the church. If we have people inside of the church who convince us that the world is not a threat to us, then we're dead already. That's why he's written this book. You have people on the inside of the church declaring a message of death that you think is life. You need to have that discernment now before it's too late. So he covers Cain's error, the way of envy and wanting things. Balaam's error, the self-gratification and th saying the world's not so bad. Korah's rebellion saying, hey, we're all special. We all get to speak for God. All of that leads to damnation. If you don't read these references, then you don't know what Jude is talking about. That's why we've spent four weeks on this. Verse 12. These people, these bad ones that have snuck into the church, are blemishes at your love feasts. They eat with you without the slightest qualm. Remember, Paul said, when you partake of the sacrament in an unworthy manner, you eat and drink condemnation against yourself. That's what's happening here. The congregation is coming together for a holy meal. And these people who should be ashamed, who should know better, they feel no shame whatsoever that they're eating with the saints while advocating for sin. They should be ashamed of themselves. And if they don't have the decency to be ashamed, you should at least be able to discern for them that they don't belong. They're blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. They're shepherds who only feed themselves. Yeah, how's that going to work out for a church if the sheep aren't getting fed because the pastor is too busy feeding himself? That's what's going on here. You have leaders in the church. We have them today that are wearing sneakers that cost more than some people's uh, uh, monthly uh, housing bills. And we don't have that discernment today <laughs> to see that there are people in the place of shepherd that have no place that belong there. God help me. God help me. If you ever see that in me, you've got to chase me out of this town, okay? Deal? These people are clouds without rain. This is my favorite part of the whole letter. They're clouds without rain blown along by the wind. They're autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They're wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars 
for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, let me ask you a question. If something is beautiful to our eyes, does that mean that God is pleased with it? These are beautiful illustrations. Oh, clouds in the sky. Oh, beautiful, driven along by the wind. Hey, if we're in the middle of a drought and we need rain and there is a cloud that goes by and drops nothing, how do we feel about that cloud? Angry. Angry. I'd rather that cloud just not even be there. How about if we're starving and we need some sustenance and we come upon an apple tree, but it doesn't have a single apple on it? Jesus had that one time with a fig tree. You remember what he did with that fig tree? He cursed it. It did. What about if you're uh, needing to fish in the sea, you need some sustenance from fish, but you're in the middle of a bunch of waves that are casting up foam and ruining your, your boat? Yeah, once again, might be beautiful from afar. What about if you're on the sea and you're needing to navigate towards land and you're looking up at the stars, but the stars are moving and you can't figure out what direction you're going? They're ruining everything. There are people in the church, they might be beautiful, they might have a wonderful sense of humor, they might have oh so many gifts to offer, but they will kill the church if you let them in and have authority. The difference here, is anyone here not a sinner? No, we're all sinners, we're all bad. You notice the Bible doesn't say bad guys, I said bad guys. It's not that we're the good guys, they're the bad guys. That is not the separation going on here. What the separation is, we are the repenting ones. They are the proud ones. We know that we are dead in sin and alive in Christ. They think they're doing just fine. That's the only difference. But when you have people out there who with their dreams think they're just fine with God, think sin is not a big deal, think that they can bring that in the church and it's our job to accept them, that's why this book was written. It was to give us that discernment so that we go, hey, if you don't want to repent, we can't have you in here. Because we are the repentance people. Amen? Verse 13. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up in their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. This book has threatened flames and now outer darkness. These are things that Jesus himself threatened. Verse 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, that means if you go down the genealogy, the line, he was the seventh born after Adam. He prophesied about these people, quote, See, the Lord is coming with his thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So this is a quote from First Enoch. You'll, that's the book we read from a few weeks ago. It's not in the Bible. But even so, he's quoting this good quote about the day of the Lord. Jesus talked about the day of the Lord all the time, as did most of the biblical authors talks about these people in first Enoch and then in verse 16 these are Jude's words now these people here's some new stuff are grumblers and fault finders y'all know anybody like that surely we don't have anybody like that in here complainers fault finders grumblers you know Eeyore is funny in a cartoon people who are like you you know who I'm talking about Winnie the Pooh it ain't funny it isn't good they are grumblers Let's see, what it, I should have put my hand here. And fault finders, they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. So flattery is a third thing. Let's talk about the grumbling thing just a little bit. 
There's something that our culture tells us is good, that it's evil and wicked, and I preached against it before. It's this thing called venting. Venting is the notion that you can carry some poison in you and just let out a little bit from time to time to people whose job it is to validate you. Oh, that's so bad. Oh, you're right. In fact, sometimes husbands are given this advice in popular culture. Your job isn't to solve things. Your job is to listen. Don't you know that, men? Your job isn't to help your wife get her life together. Your job is to just listen to them complain. Don't help them get over it. Don't help them get to a next stage. And men, are we really any different from women? Let's be clear. I'm lifting up sexist stuff from the culture. Maybe that's not helpful. Men and women, sinners alike, don't want to solve our problems, don't want to bring the light of Christ into the darkness. Rather, we just want to carry our problems along, bring them out every now and again, box them back up, just lead them throughout life, never solve them. That is what Satan wants for us. If we are leading lives where we're just constantly grumbling and complaining, there's always something wrong, we're never quite healed. Is Jesus glorified in that? And we got people in the church where there's always something wrong, there's always something to complain about, there's always something to be dissatisfied about. Come on. That's not who we're called to be. Do we have, when we understand how blessed we are in Christ Jesus, do we really have anything to complain about? No. It's because we've started to take Jesus for granted that we complain. It's because we doubt his power to heal that we continue to trollop about our our. our sadness and, and, and warpedness and depravity. When you understand who Jesus is and who he calls you to be, there is no room for complaining. And that's not to say, that's not to say that when, you know, if, if all of a sudden my family died, if I were to get up here and say, oh, I have nothing to be sad about. Jesus is still good. He's on his throne. No tears shed for me. That would be phony. Y'all would need to say, Jeffrey, you need to mourn your wife and kids, you know. But if I'm 10 years down the line and I'm a dysfunctional person because of losses I had, then y'all have to help me be healed. That's a, our, our job as the church is not to carry our scars throughout life. Rather, you remember when Jesus appeared, the risen Lord? His wounds were still there, but they were beautiful and glorified, right? When we walk with Christ Jesus, he heals our wounds. Jesus wasn't complaining about the wounds that he got on his body. Rather, he said, touch him. I'm doing great now. That's how we should be about our damage in the past. Now, the flattery thing, the flattery thing is, is hard for me. I've, I've realized that this, that I've started this YouTube channel. I've got like over 1,800 people following now. And one of them this last week, oh, they flattered me so good. They said, Jeffrey, oh, you're so good at thinking through this stuff. It's like, it's beyond intuition for you. You, you must have learned this somewhere. Can you teach this? And I immediately, I was like, hello, Satan. Because that's flattery. That immediately goes to my ego. Oh, yes, I'm special. Oh, yes, I have things to offer. That is Satan right there. I hope that person never writes me again. It is not good to flatter. It is not good to be flattered. That warps relation. That's not to say that a compliment isn't warranted from time to time. But know that difference. Be very wary of anyone coming into the body who's just got uh, a silver tongue. Verse 17, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. So what was the difference? They follow their own natural desires rather than God's word, right? 
And you have to be very wary of someone who doesn't see the difference between what God tells us we should do and what their heart tells us they should do. Unless you are fully converted and sanctified, your heart is still at odds with God. And if you don't know the difference between God's voice in your head and your voice in your head, you are lost. You are in trouble. Verse 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So the point is, if you're right with God, you need to stay right with God. Keep yourselves in love with God. And I'm going to ask you this question now, and we'll answer it at the end of the book here in a second. Do you keep yourself in love with God, or does God keep you in love with God? That's the, I think that's the last question we're going to end on, so we'll come back to that in a second. Verse 22. Be merciful to those who doubt. So we were just talking about God's mercy, right? Um. In verse 21, it said, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. That mercy is the day of the Lord, by the way, right? When he judges the earth, so God's love and mercy are the same thing. He says, we need to be merciful to those who doubt, because doubt is a natural thing. It comes upon all of us. But the loving response to doubt is not, it happens to all of us, lean into it. Rather, it's, do not doubt, believe, Here's, let me help you. You know, that's, that's why we have each other as the church to pick each other up and model faith for one another. So verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Verse 23, save others by snatching them from the fire. So we have a fire pit in my backyard. We have four small children. If any of them get too close to that fire, oh boy, do I grab them. It's not always a pleasant experience for them, but they need it, right? So if we have people in the church who start dancing with the devil, if you love them, you will grab them and say, get away from that. What are you doing? What are you thinking? Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. Fear of the Lord, fear of the power of sin, fear of the, the, the things that happen whenever you allow unrepentant sinners into the body of faith. Fear, hating even the clothing stained by their corrupted flesh. Love and hate are not opposites. Jesus was seen by many to be a hateful guy. He hated sin. He hated darkness. He looked people right in the face and said, your father's the devil. Indifference is the opposite of love. We are not called to be indifferent. When you find indifference to sin in the body, that's when the body is dead. We hate sin. We love righteousness. We hate the devil. We love God. You know, that, that we want our hates and our loves to reflect God's. And God does hate. All throughout the Bible, we're told about things he hates. It's worth remembering, we're told in Ephesians, our enemies are not flesh and blood, right? We don't hate people. He said it's the powers, the principalities, the forces of darkness in the world. That's who we're doing battle against. And again, we are to do war and battle. How do we do it? By prayer. Show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by their corrupted flesh. That means that they cannot be in the body while they participate in sin. They need to be given over to Satan. That's how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians. If there is someone unrepentant in sin in the body, they have to be put out of the body until they can repent and then they can, become, they can come back in. That's the biblical pattern. All right, verse 24, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to pre present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. 
So who is it that keeps us standing? It's God. It's not us. But once again, we do that holy battle by prayer to God. So I believe, the Wesleyan tradition believes, that we participate in our own salvation, that God gives us a role to play in our own salvation, and that as we draw near to God, he draws near to us. So if you want to remain in love with God, if you want to remain standing, say, God, help me. Call upon the Lord. Call upon his name. But if you take for granted he's just always going to be there for you and you're not in regular prayer, you will one day find that you do not have access to the Father. And you are so lost you don't know how to get back. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now, forevermore. And all the people said, Amen. Jude has been a good book to us. Jude preached that fear of the Lord that we need to live in his grace and love. We're done with Jude now today. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians, but guess what? Same stuff. We need to repent of sin. We need to walk in righteousness. We need to care for one another. We need to love as Christ loved us. If you haven't noticed, I preach pretty much the same sermon every stinking Sunday. And that's because the gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It doesn't need to change because if it, if it ain't broke, we have a perfect God, a perfect gospel, and a perfect way of life. Let's stand and sing our closing hymn, number 553, And Are We Yet Alive?